Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran. Now here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello everyone and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm Brian Moran and my guest today is Paul Perret, an attorney who's been practicing in the intellectual property and privacy law for decades. Uh, Paul provides privacy and data breach counsel for firms after a data incident and he is my go-to guy for all things related to cybersecurity. Today, Paul and I are going to scare the hell out of our listeners, and we're going to talk about cyber attacks on small businesses. With that, I'd like to welcome to the show, Paul Perret. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. My pleasure, Paul. This is um, obviously something that should be on the minds of most small business owners especially as we start to get ready for the holiday season. Um, You know, everyone's running around trying to get uh, things done for their business, whether they're retail or they want to thank their customers and, you know, getting ready to roll out uh, 2020. But uh, in the back of their minds should be, you know, what if this happens? What if, uh, if we get attacked? And I know it's not. And in preparation for our podcast today, I read a bunch of articles and took a lot of notes. And it, it was alarming, to say the least. Um, and so my first question is going to come from a report that I read from Accenture. It said 43% of attacks, cyber attacks, are aimed at small business owners. But only 14% of them are prepared to defend themselves. First question is an obvious one. Why is there such a a gap in between the cyber attacks and the people who are prepared? I think there are a couple of reasons. The the first one that comes to my mind is sort of like the out of sight, out of mind uh, mentality. Uh, A lot of business owners have. You're you're focused on revenue. You're focused on satisfying clients. you're, You're focused on things that give you the ability to survive. So when you're focused on that, you really don't want to spend too much time on things that are really not in front of you. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, folks get aware of a breach, not directly, but indirectly. Uh, Let's say a card brand calls them up. If you're a restaurant, a card brand will call you up and say you have an incident. So that's, I think, one important reason. Another one is obviously apathy. um, Mm -hmm. If you don't see it, you don't really care too much about it. and I think also those that are mindful because they read the press and they see what's going on, it's a little overwhelming. So their um, propensity is either to offload uh, and, and hope that someone else takes care of it, uh, one of the vendors that they may use uh, to provide uh, a cloud um, service, or, or they just ignore it, like I said, because of the, uh, the view that it's, it's not something that's directly tied to their day-to-day. Uh, which obviously is a mistake because it is tied to their day-to-day. And I can explain right. why um, in, in, in a couple of words. I mean, it's, it's something that's a differentiator. If you're a small business owner and you can put out there, uh, depending on what kind of data you um, uh, manage on a day-to-day basis, that you protect the data, you care about your customers and, and your safeguarding things, that add some level of credibility and and you could use that for marketing purposes, uh, which is interesting because I do counsel a lot of small business owners that do use that 
for their marketing, um, including some small financial services companies that now, uh, when they get queried about their security profile, are able to give them a ton of information that's fairly overwhelming <laughs> to the one asking. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that that begs the question, though, the follow up question, and that is, um, if I'm touting my uh, security uh, features, am I just opening myself up to hackers who want to prove me wrong? Well, that's a good point because uh, there used to be this, you know, sock analysis of uh, of someone's security profile that sort of was given to those that asked. So, would it would a um, you know, SOC 2 um, type of analysis would look into your business practices for purposes of privacy and security, and it would test them. So uh, oftentimes a lot of uh, CPAs have private practices that deal with this issue uh, and deal with this sort of uh, review. And uh, a lot of times the folks that undergo it say, okay, here's my report. And then that would have a lot of information that would be helpful um, to someone who was able to obtain that report. So, you know, in terms of what you give for your marketing, you certainly, I, I advise clients never to give that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want to give the details, but you do want to show what you did in terms of a review. So if I go to a company and do a review, I'll look at things from a security privacy perspective in terms of best practices and then need to bring in a technical specialist sometimes when things uh, require a little bit more of a technical uh, review. So in terms of the the process, you don't want to give just anyone that asks a prospective client um, what you've done in terms of specifics, but you do want to show that you're compliant with certain standards. Right. that's, That's the key. Okay. Um, Another report that I read came from Hiscox Insurance, and they said that, and they they do a pretty, pretty impressive, um, um, thorough review of small business owners and, um, you know, cyber attacks. And they said that on average, cyber attacks are costing small businesses $200,000 per incident. And that when it happens, about 60% of these businesses go out of business within six months of being victimized. Again, knowing those statistics, just reading them, and maybe you know people uh, or companies who've gone out of business um, because they were attacked, they were attacked uh, by a hacker. Why, aren't, why isn't this more of a priority for, is it still out of sight, out of mind for small business owners, or are they thinking, well, it's inevitable? I mean, if they want to break into my store, they're going to break in, you know, whether it's through the door or through the chimney or the window. I got to tell you, I think it's more the out of sight mentality as opposed Mm -hmm. to the inevitability of it happening, even though uh, largely it is inevitable uh, to some businesses who don't take certain basic protocols. I mean, I just got a call it was on a Sunday morning, like 9.30 in the morning. It was, uh, I believe, October 13th. It was basically a call about a company that needed to make a ransomware payment. And if they didn't make the payment, I was told by the IT guy that was helping coordinate everything, they would be out of business within three days. 
they would literally be out of business within three days because they could not make uh, payments that needed to be made and they were out. And, and this is just a relatively short period of time they, they had this ransomware attack. So um, it does happen on a daily basis uh, that you do have the potential to go out of business. And the reason why is because if you just think of it, pretty much everything we do is using some sort of computer. Right. Um, and to the extent that you don't have access to it, uh, it could be devastating if you're in a business that requires cash flow. Um, so that's, that's something that, um, does happen. Okay. And again, most people don't take it in consideration. All right. I, I do want to get into ways that business owners can protect themselves. So for my listeners paying attention, I do have your backs. We are going to talk about that. But I, I want to just kind of set the stage a little bit more in terms of understanding what, what type of what, what are the types of cyber attacks that affect small business owners? Are there different kinds? You mentioned ransomware, uh, you know, where, I, and I know what that is. Um, but, but explain to us some of the different types of attacks that business owners may face. Well, in the past, uh, what was really of most interest to most uh, hackers and those criminal syndicates was the credit card data. So they would look for those type of businesses that were engaged in uh, uh, something that would require a lot of credit card information. Mm -hmm. um, they would be able to use that information to create prepaid cards and they would go into Walmart and, and have $100 prepaid cards be created that were uh, expended uh, throughout the country. A lot has changed. Um, that's no longer the low-hanging fruit. Because mm -hmm. Now you need to sell that data, right? So you have to find it, then you have to sell it, and you do it on the dark web, and you don't really get that much money for it. So ransomware does you know, get the first prize, so to speak, in terms of the type of attacks that have been um, on the prevalence right now for the past couple of years. I mean, I wrote about this three years ago, so a blog post on the rise of ransomware in 2016, and it's really been picking up speed uh, in terms of going after small business owners. And... The reason why is fairly simple. You can get in. Um, I mean, I just resolved a ransomware attack, and it wasn't that small a business. Uh, it was fairly uh, a good size that, uh, unfortunately, had senior developer have an open port on their laptop. And, and so his laptop had an open port that allowed someone to go into a database and now be able to have access to things that wouldn't normally be accessible. So in that case, and, and to answer your question, if you have open ports mm -hmm. uh, on your computers that access the internet, um, a TCP port that, for example, a very common one is port 80 mm -hmm. uh, that accesses uh, uh, online content. If you have open ports that don't have a firewall, now you have a problem in that the current state of uh, infection and ransomware uses bots that scour the internet basically for, for these open ports. So once you find them, then you could potentially have access uh, to a computer system. So I guess the easiest way to, to deal with that is to enable firewalls uh, and actually use a firewall. 
So okay. There is some basic level of security. And, and the way ransomware works is somebody gets into your network, they take control of it, and they say, pay us $100,000 or we'll shut you down. Yeah, that, that's, that's one way. Or, or they could just encrypt files and say, we'll give you the key to decrypt these files if you pay us you know, one Bitcoin. Yeah, X, whatever, whatever, whatever they're asking. Usually cryptocurrencies because it's easier to, uh, to gain access to that and uh, there's a little bit more of a privacy component that, uh, that could be used to their benefit. Right, and then you're just praying that if you do it, that if you, if you comply with it, that they will give you your system back. I remember reading uh, years ago, and, and this might be, 15 years ago, there was a story in Inc. Magazine about a guy who had his, uh, he got a phone call one day right before the holidays. And the guy said, are you on your website right now? And he said, yeah. And he said, okay, watch this. And um, he shut it down. And he said, uh, it'll be down for three minutes. And we want this amount of money or we'll shut it down and uh, for the holidays. And the guy said, okay, uh, how do I know that you will, you know, once I give you that money, you're not going to come back and ask for more. And he said, well, you just, you know, you have to take me at my word that we won't. And I think the guy wound up paying him and he got his site back. But, you know, so this has been going on for as long as the internet's been around, right? I mean, people have been hacking sites and taking them over and holding them hostage. That I think was slightly different. I think that what you're describing was an attack as well, but it was a probably a distributed denial of service attack. So which mm-hmm. was basically overloading the website. Yeah. Right? The website was so overloaded that it was going to go down uh, because otherwise they would have to control and actually do a hacking. Um, but that was common years ago that okay. they would just overload. Now we have better firewalls, Cisco systems, for example, and, and all the ISPs have them. So they sort of tap that down as, uh, as a um, exposure or an exploit. But the ransomware, however, the reason why that's being prevalent now for, I guess, multiple reasons, but one of the, the most important one is that the social engineering component, the phishing exploits, those are still prevalent and mm-hmm. those still hit a lot of people and that's where you get in. And then once you're in, then again, you can either decrypt uh, or seek the money for a decryption key or, mm-hmm. or you do something uh, that requires immediate access. And it's a lot better, right, for the hacker or for the um, criminal because now you don't have to sell anything, you don't have to worry about anything, get pennies on the dollar for, for credit card information. Now you just go directly to the source and you get money. So it's, it's much easier, especially now when you have these automated tools. Right. Okay, so let's, let's talk about, obviously, it, for my listeners, your first takeaway is, you know, protect yourselves, right? Be, be mindful of the fact that these things happen and that you can't just push it under the rug and say, well, it's not going to happen to me. Or if it's going to happen to me, well, there's nothing really I can do about it. Um, you know, you've got to take some measures to protect your your business, your data, your customer data. And 
So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the different ways, maybe the four or five key ways that small business owners can do at least something to protect themselves. Because isn't it, I feel like, as you, you, you said earlier about how uh, these bots scour the web and they look for that open port, it's almost like going door to door. And, you know, if a door is locked, you just move on. If the door is open, you go in. Is, is that accurate when it comes to hacking small businesses? Yeah, you, hit the, you absolutely hit the nail on the head because think of it this way. If you're a burglar, right, and you're going through a town and you're walking around and you see a sign, let's say in the backyard, okay, you see a home security sign, you're going to just continue walking. You're not going to bother with that house. Then, then, then the house next to it, the, the lights are, are, are off and you don't see any sign. That's the one you want to go to, right? So it's similar. I guess with regards to cybersecurity, if you have uh, a firewall, for example, mm-hmm. and it's clear that there's no open ports, there's nothing that's accessible, um, then that's one very immediate thing you can do to prevent uh, an incident from coming up. I would I actually go back a little bit earlier than that. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the first thing, you ask for four to five key ways to help. I think the first one is to actually look at what data you have. Okay. okay. That I think is the threshold question. I mean, what do you have? I mean, what are you protecting? <clears throat> are, are you a restaurant uh, that has uh, information about uh, clients uh, and you put that on a database on your, on your laptop? Um, are you a doctor's office that now uses a program or a service like Epic, for example, uh, to deal with your electronic health records. Um, now, that's fine, right? That's, that's a secure uh, service, presumably, because mm-hmm. they're, they're a very large company and there's a pl- plenty of those type of companies out there that understand what they need to do. But what about the credentials to access that? I mean, are you protecting the credentials? And what are you doing? It's not only about electronic security. Do you have post-its with the passwords on your, in your doctor's office? Right. Uh, is that something accessible so somebody can just tilt their head and see? Um, so I guess it's a multi-pronged approach. It's not just looking at it electronically. You look at physical records. I'm, I've handled data breaches. Um, one comes to mind, a very large Mercedes dealership in California that what was taken were the records in a warehouse. So it wasn't even electronic at all. It was just physical records that were taken. And it's all about control. So understanding what data you have is obviously the threshold question. So what, what, not only what data you have, but what data would be valuable to hackers? Exactly. So they're going to look at the type of business you are. Is it do you know they look at? It's almost like as you say, walking down a street looking at the different homes. Which one is is going to have a lot of junk inside? Which one's going to have a lot of valuable items inside? So you know, a home based business owner who writes blogs, you know, for a living, may might not be nearly as appetizing as an e-commerce store that is selling high-end items and collecting credit card information. Absolutely. And if you look at the food chain, you'll see that now the medical information is at the highest end in terms of value. So that that's a target right now. Uh, and the reason 
again, there are multiple reasons, one of which is for identity theft, okay. uh, medical identity theft, so that you can get medical services. So they sell it to people um, who don't have access to medical services, and you basically steal someone's ID. That's why when you go to the office now, you oftentimes see them asking you for your actual driver's license and they scan right. driver's license because they want to ensure that the medical ID theft is not taking place. So if you look at the Poneman Institute, which is um, a preeminent organization dealing with privacy, they have an annual um, survey that they do. I think it's on behalf of IBM mm -hmm. where they specifically try to quantify the cost of a breach. And that's something that they've done over the years. And you could see the trends in terms of both the cost going higher, much higher, and also what information is considered to be the more valuable information. Okay. So step one, identify, kind of give yourself the, the foundation of what, what might be valuable to hackers and kind of do a... Um, you want to do like a kind of a testing of, of where you might have um, holes in your system. Yeah. Right? I say, yeah. I would say step two is related to that is limit that amount of information. Okay. Uh, I can give you a quick anecdote. I mean, there was a company I, I uh, worked with many years ago in terms of an incident and that company actually went bankrupt and what they did is they collected the track two data, credit card information, um, and basically kept it, even though they didn't need it, right? This is before PCI was really uh, required. Um, and they kept that information and they felt it was a treasure trove of information because it was good for marketing. They didn't know what they were going to use it for, but they just kept it. Right. Well, when they were hit, all that information was taken and it, it just, it, it was not something they could control and they ended up uh, filing for bankruptcy. Um, but that's, that's the second step. I, I would suggest that limit the amount of information that you do collect and make sure that it's actually required and you actually need it and can use it and can protect it. Right. So like credit card information, if you have a, a service that processes all your credit cards, can those credit cards stay with the service provider as opposed to being on your website? Yeah, well, nowadays, because of the, uh, the PCI DSS, you really don't have the ability to even do that. Okay. So, so right now, in terms of credit card information, we're in pretty good shape with that. I was good. talking more about, let's say, for example, if you have information, uh, personal information about clients, um, that's sort of extra. You don't really need right. some of that. That's where okay. you need to be careful. Okay. Um, the other thing too, before we get into the next steps is write up a, an emergency plan, right? If we were to get hacked, this is what we need to do immediately. Steps one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. That would be number three, I would say at, at a very minimum incident response plan. Uh, also your document retention policies, mm -hmm. uh, sort of what you do uh, in terms of keeping this information um, in privacy policies are required. Uh, you can have a different incident response plans that may or may not be required based on your industry sector. But I would suggest any small business to at least have some sort of understanding of what they plan on doing if something does happen. It's sort of, sort of as simple as knowing who to call. Okay. Right. 
Uh, now, if you have insurance that pays for this, then you may want to call your broker first. Uh, you may call an attorney if you know an attorney. Uh, oftentimes, a lot of small business owners call CPAs. Um, so it really depends on your context, but I would just suggest know in advance what you plan on doing. Um, because if you do have, let's say, for example, a ransomware attack and you need to make a payment quickly, it's not necessarily something that is intuitive, you know, right, you right. know what to do in that circumstance. Okay. And you mentioned insurance. There is such a thing as cyber security insurance now? Well, absolutely. And that's why you had mentioned Hiscox. Hiscox is a player in the small business realm. There's yeah. a number of others that have done this. I mean, I was told recently there's upwards of 80 companies that are selling standalone cyber insurance policies. Okay. Um, I think the real players are much lower than that. Um, AIG has been a predominant player for many years. Mm -hmm. Um and there's other new players that are very large companies are looking to make inroads here. Um, so, you know, this is a good area if you want to obtain risk transfer to work with a broker that understands this issue. And there's also policies for professional liability. Let's say you're a CPA right. or you're an attorney, small law firm, mid-sized law firm. You can go, there's programs I know, uh, one is called CPA Gold, another one's called Law Gold that have been around for literally 15 years and they have this plugged into their policy, this cyber component. And so you can either get a standard loan policy, professional liability, depending on what you do. Um, for retailers, it used to be the case it was much more expensive for retailers, the large retailers. But a small retailer, you probably don't have that same sort of price um, differential. It's probably not going to be more expensive now to be a retailer. Okay. And um, do you, they will probably also offer you kind of a checklist of things as they insure you to say, you know, do you have this, 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 and this? That's a great point because they have an application process. So they'll mm -hmm. ask you questions and you'll need to obviously answer them truthfully. But in addition to that, they may have requirements in that, for example, do you encrypt your laptops? Right. So if, you know, if you don't, then they're going to probably say, well, maybe we don't want to insure you and you know, that's it. Or they may say, well, that as a condition proceeding to providing the insurance, you're going to have to demonstrate that you are going to do this. Um, so you might, you might, it really depends on the insurance carrier. Right. Uh, some are more desperate and, and interesting enough, it depends on the cycle because in the insurance industry, there is a hard market and a soft market dichotomy that gets into play over the years. And now you would probably be able to argue that it's still somewhat of a soft market. So there's more competition from the carriers and the pricing is a little bit lower. So you might be able to get some good pricing. You might not have to do certain things, but you would want to think about it because that's just good best practice anyway. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know, don't, don't be penny wise, pound foolish, right? Don't cut a corner on an insurance policy to save a couple of dollars when in fact doing, you know, what they put in their, in their requirements or their suggestions might save your business. Exactly. Um, okay. So, and, and I love that idea. I, I think that is a very proactive move, you know, reaching out, even though you're going to be spending money, reaching out, getting an insurance policy, and then, you know, following their checklist, if they have one for you or their requirements to make your business safer. 
to lock your doors and windows. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, install and update your antivirus software. I mean, that goes, right, that's an obvious one. The, the software that's going to check to see if you have any open ports, is that what it does? That it will, it'll create firewalls, it'll encrypt your data, and it will check for open ports? Well, it depends what you're buying. Most AV doesn't do that. Okay. Uh, most antivirus software is just going to match up signatures that they have of known viruses and, and malware to what's coming in and what they see. And uh, if there is a match, then they'll quarantine it or delete it, depending on your settings. Um, I would advise a lot of small business owners to sort of offload to managed service uh, providers Uh, the security function, if they have that capability. If they don't have that capability, uh, and let's say they're not large enough, then at the very least, they should see someone local that can provide the patch management that's necessary. Because I know that that's one major vector for mostly larger companies, but it's still something that impacts pretty much anyone uh, that is doing patch management, which is basically just making sure you have the most up-to-date, let's say, Windows software. Right. Um, a lot of the things that we've heard about in, um, let's say, the WannaCry, uh, which is a was a type of crypto locker ransomware attack in 2017. Well, that that was because a lot of folks had an old uh, Windows um, install. And that's why in the UK, they were hit. A lot of the hospitals in the UK were hit because they had a very old version. Uh, and certain things weren't patched because they sort of stopped servicing them. So I guess the point is, you want to make sure you have up-to-date software. Because right. there's a concept called the zero-day attack, uh, which is basically that the hackers go after folks that uh, didn't get patched because the actual vulnerability was announced that same day okay so you know that's a very important thing for uh companies to think about um all right this i i want to kind of i don't i don't want to overwhelm our listeners but i think this is so important what we're covering here so i i may have you come back on in uh in a few months into the new year to give us a kind of a a second version or a second edition of cyber attacks um, because I think what we're asking our listeners to do right now is one is to assess their situation. Two is to, um, you know, have an emergency plan, train your employees. We, we, we didn't even talk about that, but we will. Uh, but, you know, train your employees, um, uh, pl- play the what if game. So you have your documents in place. Look at insurance so that if you do get hit, you you may be covered for some of it. But that'll also require you to, you know, take a deeper dive into making sure that you're protected. Just the way you would have health insurance if you got sick. You have auto insurance in case you get into an accident. You have homeowners insurance. All of these insurances protect you against something that may or may not happen. And that's what the cybersecurity insurance does. It protects you to an extent, I'm sure, if you get attacked. So, you know, take the time between now and, and the end of the year to review your situation and at least lock your doors and windows so that if somebody does come by, you don't make it easier for them to hit your business 
and, and maybe even put you out of business. Um, Paul, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you um, and, and talk to you more about uh, cybersecurity, what's a great way for them to uh, connect with you? I guess the best way is email. Uh, you could just send me an email at paulp at um, and it's spelled P-A-R-A-Y-L-A-W.com. My website is parade.com, and I have a lot of material there that you could review. Um, and certainly my goal was, even though it's October 30th, was not to scare anyone. It's <laughs> very overwhelming. Right. Uh, so you right. really – you need to like take a deep breath and understand it's no different from having a home security sign in, in your backyard. If you just do basic, basic thing and how much effort does that take? Not much, right? Right. But basic things will now cause the hackers to just overlook your business entirely. Now the larger companies, they don't do that and they attack them because there's a lot more to attack. For the small business owners, you just do basic things. You can avoid large, you know, uh, a large amount of these bots that go out there searching for things. So if you want to send me an email at paulp at paraylaw.com or you can um, go to parade.com. I also have some contact information there. I could send, if someone reaches out to me, I can send a very basic uh, sort of prep list. Um, what I often do is security reviews and actually look in detail. And I've done that for small business owners that, you know, have like maybe 50 to 100 employees would be a sort of um, a sweet spot, but it could be larger. I've done much larger actually in New Jersey. Um, uh, but anyway, I won't get okay. into details obviously, but you know, you could send me an email and then we can talk. Yeah, that's great. Well, they'll also be able to, I think we're going to put some, um, some of your articles on smallbusinessedge.com. And uh, maybe we can add that checklist as well. So uh, this has been fantastic, Paul. Great information, uh, definitely needed by, you know, our listeners and other small business owners out there. And, uh, you know, our goal is to, look, we may not be able to completely prevent your, your website from getting hacked and your business from being, you know, under fire, but we can certainly, you know, lessen the odds right, of, of something happening to you. So if, if we do nothing more than that, I think today was, uh, you know, incredibly helpful and educational. So my pleasure. Thanks so much for the invite. Appreciate yeah, it. I appreciate it. And we'll definitely have you back. You're going to be one of our regulars because this is something that's not going away anytime soon. It's obviously a, a, a topic that continues to evolve. And, uh, you know, it's just great advice and, and nuggets and takeaways for our listeners. So I know they appreciate it as well. Paul, thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for continuing to listen to the Small Business Edge podcast with me, Brian Moran. And uh, we look forward to your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions for future podcasts. With that, have a great day, and we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.